Speak the charm of make charm of make charm. There will come a time on the planet Earth when science and technology will be long forgotten. When wizards will rule the world. This is the Arnamancy Podcast. Exploring esotericism, tarot, magic, and the occult. I am Reverend Eric. Welcome back, loyal listeners. This is Eric Arneson, and I'm here today with Alex Bullen, first of his name and other interesting titles. Uh, He's a mysterious podcaster, an author, a good buddy of mine, a recurring guest. You've probably heard him before. Uh, One of my podcast mentors, and recently the author of a new comic book, which we're going to be talking about today. Hey, Alex, thanks for coming back on. Thank you for having me back on, Reverend Eric. Oh, <laughs> yeah, any anytime. Uh, I, I, it's the first time I've, I've sat through the theme song for a while. Um, where is that sound clip from about science going away and us uh, having uh, wizards? The sound clips, uh, they're, they're a combination of um, uh, Excalibur and... I think, what is it, Wizards or Fire and Ice from Ralph Bakshi? Alex, welcome to the virtual studio, the virtual podcast studio over here. Um, Since we're recording this during the coronavirus apocalypse, uh, we are socially distant by like a mile. Yeah, this is weird. I did a show, my other show, John Malk's Hate Stuff, um, with John last night. Uh, virtually and that was really weird because we've done 73 episodes of him in the room with me and then he wasn't here and I didn't know what to do and all of our timing was off and it it took like a really long time to get used to it just feels bizarre in general I mean like we've recorded probably like six or seven episodes together but it's always been with the two of us in a room or at least like you know nearby um but, yeah, we're like physically near each other. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, we're still pretty close. I mean, a mile isn't that far. It's only 1.6 kilometers. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I I don't want to speak for you, but personally, I miss your musk. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I miss my musk too. I, I took a shower yeah, today. Yeah. Everything's weird. <laughs> okay, oh, look at you being being workable in the in the coronavirus quarantine i mean you can't see me but i am actually wearing pants today it's it's a it's a big step up from things so okay let's let's get on to like the podcast material like what what the heck are we talking about so you um you wrote a comic book or you're working on a series of comics um called worms edition correct uh, can you give us the elevator pitch for Worms Edition? Yeah, it's um, it's kind of a like a, a humorous look at uh, kind of occult being in the occult in fake Portland. So it takes place in kind of an alternate Portland where uh, instead of Lads Edition in Portland, it's Worms Edition, and um, we're following a guy that's on a his his magical journey trying to figure out what's real and what's not real and 
um, you know, meeting friends along the way. And you're working on it with Eric Millar, who is the guy behind the disruption generator and a bunch of other like really um, interesting graphical creations, right? Yeah, that, that's the one. Yeah, I um, I started this. Uh, I can't even tell you seven years ago. I had an idea for a comic, and I have the I have the drawing ability of of like a some kind of monkey that got I don't know like missing his dominant hand and Parkinson's. So it's just there's no way I was drawing it myself. So I was kind of every every year or so, Facebook would say, "Hey, remember last year you bitched about how no one would draw your comic for you." And eventually, after, you know, I'd bet Eric and had him on the show and, you know, was impressed by his talent. I didn't really ask him because I'm like, why the hell would he want to do it? Like, you know, he's very talented and it's just some, you know, weird flight of fancy, silly book, but he liked it. So I was like, holy shit, I actually got like a good artist for this, not just settling for someone. Well, I've seen it. It looks amazing. It's, um, it's totally like, it's, it's definitely Eric Millar's style. Am I saying his name right? Yeah, it's just hard to say because, um, and he'll be fine with you saying this. He's pretentious and makes you pronounce it dumb because it should just be Miller, but it's got to be Millar. <laughs> Eric Millar, fine. So, like, it's totally his artistic style, but uh, the writing sort of has, you know, I mean, it has the Alex feel to it. And I'm kind of wondering, like, you said you've been working on this for seven years. Well, I mean, no, I I wrote it seven years ago. You wrote and, it seven uh, years. I couldn't ago. find an artist, so like. Every now and again, I'd look back and go, oh, man, I really wish I had made that. Like, so there's so many things, like, as a writer, like, you give up on a lot of stuff. So, like, I, 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 if I looked into my random folders, I probably have seven novels I've started and they're gone. You know, I don't think about them again. You know, they, but I kept going back to the idea of doing this comic book, which is weird because I'm not like, I mean, I grew up on comics, but I'm a huge comic book guy nowadays. But, uh, it just kept popping back my head. So I just kind of kept pressing on, like, just, Hey, I've got a new crop of listeners. Let's ask them if they, anybody wants to, you know, team up with me. And I had a couple of false starts over the years. I had a guy that we had done all the character design of it, and then he dropped out. And that was like four years ago or whatever. So it's been like this kind of perennially in the back of my mind that like maybe at some point I can get an artist that wants to work with me to do it. So yeah, it's a seven year old idea that's, uh, was, kind of I had like the broad strokes of these are the characters vaguely this is the tone I want to go for like this guy said it's the tick but with occultism um, and then uh, you know just kind of broad strokes and my whole well, not the whole idea but like one of the key points that I wanted to focus on was I don't want to hire an artist like I want to work with an artist so I want it to be creative input from Eric. So like, I just basically gave, like we sat down and kind of hashed out the book together. So, I mean, not, not legally or financially, but he probably deserves a, you know, a a writer credit on it as well. But you know, that's, this is not legally binding if the book starts selling out. (laughs) Okay. Well, that kind of brings uh, an interesting question to my mind. So like you've written tons of short stories, you've written a novel, you've started, a bunch of other novels. Um, like, But when you write a comic book, don't you have to kind of approach it differently? Is it more like a, a script or a screenplay? Like, how do you... Uh, how do you... Do, how does this change your process? Well, the... You know, I think the kind of... The prose or whatever write it as a script. And then, you know, like the artist works on the, you know, kind of 
like your DP or your art director in a movie would. But the way I wrote it was basically I just, so I wrote the first, um, I gave an outline of all the characters, uh, of what they are, what they're doing, what their motivations are. The kind of, not necessarily full plot, but like story points of the first arc. There's like a five issue arc that's like vaguely interconnected of like, you know, kind of introducing the world and the characters and kind of getting everybody settled. And, um, and then it had, you know, kind of sort of issue by issue, what was happening in that. And then once I talked to Eric, we broke it down to like what actually like kind of a little bit more solid of what we want in each issue, you know, like how it actually breaks. He's much more familiar with comics than I am. And at that point I wrote it as a, really like a like almost like a script treatment for a movie where it's um you know uh bruce willis walks in and talks to marcellus wallace they're in trouble he wants to throw the fight you know not actually writing the whole giving the story outline to let his art work because i don't want to have it be page four these things happen because that doesn't allow him to be arty you know that's just that's just him being a a drawing monkey, you know, like, Hey, do this on this page. And so the idea is like, so in the first book, there's this sequence where, um, the lead character, um, Simon is walking up and down steps and the way Eric did it, I think it looks awesome, but like, I wouldn't have come up with that. Cause I, you know, if I could have come up with that, I probably would be an artist and could just do it myself. So I left it open. And the first book we did was I, we had him laid out in like kind of pencil sketches. And then I wrote the dialogue around that. So, it's kind of like a, a back and forth. So like he knows sort of what my dialogue is going to be. So he leaves enough room, but it gives him enough freedom to, you know, put what he wants down. And then, uh, issue two, which we're working on now, he's doing like final pens on it at the moment. We kind of figured out how we want to write it. So that one, I just gave him a script of what happens, basically what final dialogue is and just let him run with it. So, you know, long story short, it's basically I'm making him do all the hard work and I reap all the benefits. <laughs> is there a lot of back and forth like does he show you the pencils and you're sort of like oh yeah, yeah that looks great yeah and a lot of it I think we did it kind of smart for the, a lot of it for the first issue we met up talked about everything met up again talked about everything and then went back and forth on character design so like I was really involved in the art kind of setup so once I had once we had the characters in a way that like I don't want to say the way I picture them, but like the way that I pictured Eric doing them in his art style, you know, like, Oh, mm-hmm. that feels like the character as through your hand. Oh, so um, in that sense, like you kind of, after you had familiarity with the way Eric was doing stuff, you kind of adapted your writing to his style. Yeah. There's part of it, you know? Th- so there's, there's certain kind of, I, I don't think the plot changed a ton, but I think the way I approached some stuff because he was around, because I knew he was going to be doing a change. So like, for instance, in my original, so there's of the of the main characters, there's Simon, and there's uh, Penny and Zoe, or like the two ladies in it. And um, I, my original version of them, um, I don't want to give too much away, but like my original version of them was one was a little more like I don't want to say sexy, but it had a little bit more like attractive allure to her as like part of a character. But um, once I got Eric on board, that's not, you know obviously that's not his style, you know he's you know, he's more of like a Cronenbergian body horror style writer. So trying to, and it works so much better with the character without that kind of that aspect to it. So like it, like his style informed the way I can write them. And it worked out really well. Cause like after the book kind of started coming together, I realized like, Oh, that would have been 
well, not a mistake. It just would have been, that would have been one aspect of the character that gets written out as the series goes along, you know, like any, any pilot of a show, you know, you, by episode three, somebody didn't recast and their personality is a little different. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, that's sort of uh, like the, the creative process is sort of interesting, but I think maybe we should now turn to like, I, I don't want to give anything away either. I've only seen the first issue and I don't know how the story develops, but um, there are some interesting aspects to it, such as like the use of Portland and in particular, like Lad's edition or the rebranded like Worms edition. It sort of forms, it's almost like its own character in the in the comic. Um, I'm kind of wondering, can you, can you talk a little bit about uh, what inspired that and what kind of brought that into your creative bubble? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, not to get too like narrative, uh, you know, uh, biography wise, but I've lived in Lad's edition twice in my life. The first place I ever lived in in Portland was I rented a basement apartment in Lad's edition. And then about seven years later, I rented a different basement apartment in Lad's edition after having lived three different places in between, uh, you know, so like a block and a half from where I first moved in. And both times in my life that that happened, I was in a very like kind of magical spiritual, like, you know, running the, um, magical practice has like a waveform. I was at, you know, the top of a peak every time I moved into Lads. And if you look at Lads Edition on an actual map, you know, uh, go to Google Street View and look Lads Edition in Portland. It looks like if a secret society wanted to birth the Antichrist or the, or the Messiah, they would try to get someone pregnant in the middle of Lads Edition. It just looks like it's a magical work. It is such a weird layout to a neighborhood. And uh, I've always had that in the back of my head. There's kind of running joke of like, I'm living in this you know, this giant neighborhood sigil for, you know, that's uh, who the hell knows what it's doing. Uh, so, you know, I, and Eric, you would know, we did a magical working in the center of Lad's edition, the actual Lad's edition. Right. Right. With that, with that kind of in mind that it's this weird chi highway that goes to the middle. So I, I just always had this thing with Lad's being such a unique neighborhood. Um, I forget it was with you, but with someone we decided that it was just, you know, scared white people in the early 1900s that were trying to keep undesirables out. So it was their magical working, you know, like much like the rest of the Illuminati. Yeah, but it's got this look. It's sort of, it's turned about 45 degrees. So everything is diagonal to the rest of the city. And it all sort of converges on Lad's circle in the middle. But also yeah. Lad's edition has weird stuff in it. Like people don't like to drive through it. People don't like to walk through it. It's got that I am the the um, I am church in it. Yeah. Uh, it's got all those like little weird rose gardens, and there's also a uh, hat museum. There's a hat museum. It, How come we haven't gone to the, the creepiest hat? place you'll ever see? It, I mean, it looks like a like hat museum. Maslow brackets underneath. If you'd like to get murdered, I like totally. you have to call. I want to get murdered in a hat museum. Let's go to the hat museum. I mean, I guess it's it, closed. It, it was a it was a hundred feet away from where we did the Hunson Abadir summoning. Oh. If you're leaving Lads, going back to uh, Hawthorne down the main street there, uh-huh. there's an old Victorian on the right that like a like a pink uh, burgundy some kind of reddish color Victorian uh, on the right. That's a that's a hat museum, but open by appointment only. But like, there's like the windows are all closed. There might even be tinfoil over them. I mean, it looks scary. No offense to Hat Museum folks, if you're listening, I'm sure it's delightful, but you have to understand from the outside that's some of that game shit. That Hat Museum has to be near comic book. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's in the back of the, uh, in the back of my mind. The Hat Museum right now, so there's a, um, 
there's a gathering place in, in Worms Edition um, that is uh, kind of an occult shop slash arcade that uh, I felt like is a perfect, that's exactly what modern occultism right now, just occult shop slash arcade. <laughs> and that's sort of being like the weird thing in Lads, but like I left it open that there's going to be a ton of weird stuff. It is very much like, it is the, we didn't just name it because we couldn't think of a cooler name and that's where it takes place. Like we didn't just call it Portland neighborhood. Like it very much without giving too much away. I mean, it kind of already did like, you know, all the magical, you know, the magical energy flowing through that's going to play a part in the later stories. Well, I feel like anybody who has paid it, any occultist who lives in Portland and there's a ton of them who's like really paid attention to, uh, the map and the geography of Portland it has a, a feeling about Lad's Edition, and and you can kind of see it. You know, I mean, Lad's Edition. I mean, in addition, in addition, to, fuck. It's like hey, you, you can't it. you can't use the word edition when you're talking about Lad's Edition. Um, but you know, on the really close to the IM Center, there's like that house with the weird Egyptian obelisk in the backyard. Yeah. Um, there's like converted churches uh, there are a number of converted churches that have been turned into houses and then even some houses that have been turned into churches and the whole thing like there are there are weird little streets and nooks and crannies in lads edition that i bet you hardly anybody who doesn't live there ever walks down and then all of the alleyways like it's it's sort of filled with secret passages it feels like yeah, the alleyways are some of my favorite things in Port. Like, so the, the way they was designed for people that don't live there, for the for the everybody that's listening that doesn't know lads, is behind every street there's an alleyway, and that's where it's changed now because Portland's overgrown. But the idea was that you would only drive down the alleyways, and the streets were for kind of perambulating, like you know. So all the garages face this alley behind the house, and that's where all the garbage trucks go through. So the idea of like it was your neighborhood. And Hold the on, idea back up, there back being up a like second. A I lost you again. I heard oh, yeah. the idea um, that. So the idea that there's this kind of um, secondary channel of energy going on through through lads, this secret alleyway is I, there's something magical there, and that that's not in the book yet, but that's going to come at some point. Of like this, it's just so weird. I mean, not even talking about the comic book, like in just real life, having this you know, like veins and arteries kind of thing of like this secondary behind every street, there's an alley and not metaphorically, literally behind every street, there's an alley. That's, that's fucking great. It's like, it's some weird, creepy stuff. So, um, yeah, Worms edition is, is going to have all of that stuff too, but you can't overstuff the first issue because trying to explain last edition, like the real one is complicated enough. Trying to explain the comic book version where, you know, there's, Oh boy, there's going to be some weird shit happening in there. Well, I'm really excited about it. Um, can you tell us anything about uh so the main character is Simon, right? Yeah. And in issue 1, he's sort of returning to Worms edition after having been away a while. Can you talk a little bit about your inspiration for Simon and where he came from? Yeah, it's um I, I try not to I try not to write myself into stuff. It's it's just as a writer, I think it's I don't know. I, I hate when I hate when people write in the first person and just call themselves, you know, Dave or whatever. So it's like, you know, and then the handsome guy with a typewriter on his back fought back seven terrorists and kissed the dame. We're just like, oh, shut up. So um, Simon is not me at all, but Simon is based on this kind of internal conflict that I keep having where um, in magic, or at least my magical practice, it seems like um, 
there is a, a height of belief and it seems like in the real world there's this height of belief and then it'll be followed by this massive trough of just this is nonsense like just it is this um you know like like i just oh you come down to atheist hollow and think about science you know just there is there is absolutely nothing so i wrote simon to be in this he's basically a lifelong student that you know not to put a, a, a you know like a, a pin in it because you know it's I don't want to give like the exact mechanisms or whatever away, but he sucks at magic. He knows everything. He's a, he's a repository of, of magical thought, but nothing works. You know, it is, it's just, it's just books with silly phrases in it. You know, it's, it's, it's spinning in a circle saying random, you know, mantras and nothing coming of it. So when we pick up with Simon, he's just returned from, you know, somewhere, which I don't want to give away, but you know, it's assumed some kind of magical sojourn and he's a, uh, He's he's done with it. it. It's over. So he's basically returns to Portland and decides to just sell all of his magical shit, burn the rest in the backyard, and you know figure something out with his life. But then it all goes wrong. Yeah, the going wrong goes all goes all wrong. <laughs> uh, which you know that that that's that's the thing I can't give away because. Uh, but you know, over the course of where we meet um, uh, the proprietor of the uh, magical store um, slash arcade who uh, doesn't have a name, even though, well, the running kind of thing is that he just keeps changing his name every time we meet him. Um, and then we meet Penny and Zoe, who are the two kind of the two other main characters, which um, both of them have a little bit too much plot around their character that I can't really go into them too much. But yeah, it's, it's kind of the, um, um, those early episodes of Buffy where she meets Xander and you know, everybody and the gang starts getting together is, is what we're doing right now. Well, that's pretty exciting. Do you have uh, do you have sort of a an arc or a big plan for like how long it's going to be, or is, do you plan on making an ongoing series? Well, I mean, I I wanted to go as long as Eric is willing because I mean it, he like I say jokingly that he's not doing all the work, but like he has to put so many more hours in than I do. Like you know, I've been thinking about it for so long, and I guess if you count hours, we're we're even. But I mean, thinking isn't as hard, so like. I'm here as long as Eric wants to draw the fucking thing, but uh, I have, um, and we discussed the first five issues of, uh, you know, introducing the characters, the crux of the situation, um, why things have changed in Simon's life, elaborating on, like, where his background is, and then the introduction of uh, the, um, what I'll loosely call an antagonist, and that's kind of the first five-issue arc. And I have, I have, seven or eight bottle episodes in my head that I haven't written yet, but I have that I would be delighted to write. I have other full story arcs that would be right, you know, that I'd want to write, but it all depends on, you know, time and whatever, you know, unfortunately, um, well, I mean, fortunately, that's a terrible thing to say. Uh, it, uh, we're, Eric and my artist and I are both still employed. So it's not like we got, you know, our magical, uh, our magical, uh, ticket to being a full-time creative through Corona. You know, we're, so we still only have a few hours a week to work on it. So, but uh, yeah, I, I have, I have, I have stories for miles. What are some of the um, occult influences that are going to be sort of like big major players in the in the story? Like, is it golden, um, is it like Golden Dawn stuff or the Lima or is it something that you've just totally? Is it your own invention? It's my own invention informed by real occult stuff. So I think the running theme, and you know this about me, is I think I'm going to make fun of Crowley a lot because I, I think he's, you know, he's 
He's oh, yeah. Somebody I mean, that's really easy to make fun of. The lowest of the um, hanging fruits. <laughs> no, Anton Zender LeVay is the lowest of the low hanging fruit, and I will be oh, also making true, fun of him. Compared to, <laughs> compared to LeVay, Crowley is sort of like the top of the tree. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but yeah, we're also, I'll also be making fun of uh, uh, the Unfortune, um, Bolovsky, uh, who's that spinning asshole that looks like Teddy Roosevelt? Gurdjieff. Um, oh, Gurdjieff. So, uh, <laughs> I'm an Ospensky man, uh, all the way. But, uh, yeah, right, it's kind of, I think it's informed by, God, I don't even want to say this, but it's more... Um, pop culture occultism than true occultism in the show because in the book because um, as much as I'm, I'm willing to make fun of everything uh, myself first most and, and very much included but, but I don't want to make fun of stuff that I think is kind of I'm not saying sacred cow but like I don't know I just I feel a little awkward like poking fun at things that like I think are valid and give people hope and reason you know I'm fine with poking fun at um, you know pretentious left-hand fat half folks you know they can handle it they got it you know yeah hopefully and you know and, and they certainly don't have ego issues so like it'll be fine uh, <laughs> but, they've got uh, ego to spare <laughs> yeah yeah they're good yeah don't, don't worry about it yeah uh yeah no so it's gonna i mean it's gonna be informed by everything like i think it's it's portland is is the idea so like it's everything from kind of western new age you know uh yoga reiki uh you know hot ladies in in a Bikram yoga studio stuff to actual you know summoning circles and you know uh just legit quote-unquote stuff but like i think just enough to not you know one not conjure anything negative and two you know not you know feel like i'm making fun of the people i want to read the book because you know it's not like everybody knows about this stuff. So there's a bit of a select audience. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so like previous big occult comic books, uh, like the invisibles or, um, Promethea or things like that, they've kind of had, um, almost sort of like this, this preachy element to them where they're sort of like, we're introducing you to this particular paradigm of how we think magic and the universe works and, and, you know, listen, you know, read the story and enjoy it, but also know that we're kind of like teaching you the secrets. Um, do you have that sort of thing going on in, in uh, Worms Edition? No, no. I, I, I truly believe that this will make you a worse magician watching, reading this book. Um, you, <laughs> you, 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 no. <laughs> um, no, I don't ascribe to, and I so much so that I hate the term chaos magic, but like, not hate, but it's, it's the best worst term, you know, um, or the worst best term, whatever you want to say. It's a it's an app description that's been ruined by people taking it and making it a dogma. But it's kind of a chaos magic approach where you just take what works and throw out the rest, kind of thing. But I hate the, I, I dislike that term now because chaos magic has become a you know as indoctrinated and and by the rules set of you know magical principles as any other magical system. So it's kind of it's ruined you know you're gonna hurt my servitor's feelings um yeah that's fine my my egregore and my uh my tulpa are uh are gonna pat him on the back and it's gonna be fine i made i made some <laughs> shoal sigils to make you feel better you sank my thought form 
Um, <laughs> so I guess uh, with that approach, you're not really going to be thinking of um, Worms Edition as like some sort of hyper sigil, like uh, Grant Morrison did with the Invisibles. I think not as pretentiously, no. But like, yeah, there there is. Um, like in so in Worms Edition, the first issue, we have a sigil at the first page and the last page. That's that's what, that's what bookends the issue. Like. Uh, Eric is somebody that knows, and I don't want to speak for him, but I believe he practices some of this stuff, and I and I certainly practice. Um, so there is there's magic being put into it. Uh, I gave a lot of thought to the names that went into it. Um, a lot of thought to how how the system, as I understand it, works. But I just I I I think you're allowed to break it. It's almost like. Um, season early season Simpsons with that rubber band reality where you can like break it a little bit but it bounces back and that's what makes it important but it's like if you break it too much it doesn't work so I want to be super flexible so I don't want to have like this Grant Morrison like um, I don't know you know uh, I don't want to say fundamentalism but you get what I'm saying like this kind of strident you know uh, this is what it is. I don't like the idea of it, you know, of, of putting your foot and saying something is something. I think that kind of ruins the magic of it. Yeah, sure. I think I understand what you're saying. So, like, uh, you know, in The Invisibles in particular, like, Grant Morrison had a message that he wanted to get across, and he sort of kept it hidden and difficult to discern all the way until the end. Um, so it was kind of like, and now we're revealing the big secret of the universe. So oh, oh, gotcha. Yeah. Are you oh, be- no, I, I took it the other way. I just, I more meant like Grant Morrison being kind of a stuck up frat. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I mean, even just the, the, the concept that he would know what the secret of the universe is sort of fits into that evaluation. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's what, and, and actually, I don't like the invisible. I like, I actually like Grant Morrison. I think he's fun, but yeah, um, me too. I just, there's a, there's a bit too much of a serious kind of, too overly serious thing. Um, yeah. It, I think it just I I can't take certain aspects of the stuff too seriously. So I don't want to say like, um, so like uh, the novel I wrote periphery that is a sigil. Like I made that purposefully so. Like I, I embedded um, uh, like mantra sigils into the book. Like there's you know there's literally like tones in the book that are taken from me doing magical work. Like it is one hundred percent. There's magic in that book. This is more. Um, there's magic while we're making it, but not as like kind of serious and like goal oriented magic. It's probably the best way to more, you know, guess communication less than magic as like means to an end. Okay. That makes sense. What's the weirdest thing? What's the weirdest experience that you've run into in lads edition? Like give us some, uh, some sort of juice as to what kind of, uh, some personal stuff that inspired worms edition out of lads edition. Uh, I mean, you know, one time I saw these two occultists trying to summon a cartoon demon on, on Halloween. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I heard about that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there's a number of things. So when I was living in my old house, uh, uh, on locust, uh, beautiful, beautiful biblical name. Um, I was early on there. I had this, and this is kind of where the, um, it's not one-to-one, but I think kind of the, the, I don't know if one informed the other or what it is, but like I had this kind of apocalyptic dream of almost like a a shadow sandstorm sweeping through lads edition, but only following the roads. And then at each, uh, so in lads, to explain to the audience at each intersection in the side streets, there's a little rose garden. 
their test gardens for the big rose garden in Portland that, that lives on top of a hill, which all of this sounds like I'm making up a magical fairy tale land of with the rose garden up on the hill and the test garden with the, with the people on the other side of the river. So the idea is like on the other side of a moving body of water are the test gardens for these things that are going to be brought up on the hill. It just feels very magical and like um, just... I mean, it feels like uh, like union archetypes are being used that I don't even fully understand. It's like the background of Star Wars or something. But uh, I had this dream of this this kind of sandstorm shadow thing, and every time it hit one of those like crosses, you know, any of those uh, rose gardens, it would swirl up and see these vertices and swirl up in the center, and it became this swirling thing at the center being shot out of the other side. And um, it was just a cool dream for a while until I was at acupuncture a few years later, which I'm not a big acupuncture, you know, I take it or leave it. I have, I have no real opinion. I was just given a go. Um, and they were, the lady there had uh, a map of the, uh, I think it's the Chinese system of like, you know, kind of the energy lines going through the body and the way they were, the way that they had it depicted there, the way it was swirling around like the, uh, the kind of, pressure points or whatever you call it in, in acupuncture was kind of the same thing I saw in that dream. And I went, Oh shit, that's like that dream. And I just had this like kind of flash overlay of, Oh, I've been kind of joking about this, but like this neighborhood probably is a magical working. Like this is a, a, um, some kind of trap, some kind of sigil battery, you know, some kind of spiritual battery that's, you know, building up like whatever kind of energy and shooting it out the other side. You and mean, I looked into it, like, that, to figure out who... That's, like, Ghostbusters style. Yeah, yeah, kind of like Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, but there's there's no Zool or uh, Gozer or anything like that. It's just... Yet. Um, I don't know what it is. I mean, I looked into it to figure out who built Lad to see if there was, you know, if there was something, if there was, a, you know, the, the holy order of blah 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 built it, and, you know, or, or like, if this is some kind of work, and I found nothing. It just... I mean, there's got to be something to it because it's such a weird design. Like there is, there is something in this neighborhood that feels magic-y. and that dream just kind of informed later by a weird, you know, kind of chi chart. And then, um, so I mean, that's like yes, what the weirdest thing was. It, I mean, I, generally, when something in a dream actually shows up in the real world, I still find that incredibly weird when it's previously unknown information or at least subconsciously known. Oh yeah, that um, is. I, I've got a scientific mind where it's like that's wait a second, that's nearly proof. <laughs> no, that is super weird. I mean, it does feel you know. I mean, any any pedestrian in Portland owes it to themselves to get lost in Lad's Edition and sort of wander around in there and see what the heck is going on because it does feel weird. It feels really different in there. Yeah, and there is if you're not on major, so there's like the two there's like the major kind of the X that goes through it, like the major streets that hit in the middle and hit the, the roundabout. But if you take a, if you go through the side streets and just in your head say, Oh, I want to walk towards, let's say 12th or I want to walk towards division. You're going to get it wrong more often than not. And it's weird because it's not, I mean, it's complicated. But it's not that complicated, but it's, it's really easy to be like slightly off of where you think you're walking. And that's happened to me a few times where I like, I'm almost convinced that it was like some kind of, I don't know, like a missing time event where I was like, like abducted and thrown back and, you know, facing the wrong direction where I would, I would have put money down that I was walking towards Hawthorne and, you know, I got, I end up getting spit out onto 12th or whatever. Like it's a weird, it, it, 
twists you around. I mean, you and I had an experience like that when we were, you were like, oh, let's take a shortcut. And I was like, all right. And we started walking and it was not a shortcut. We kind of got a little lost. And it's strange because it's like, what, like 10 blocks by 10 blocks or something like that. Like it's not, it's not impossible to navigate except that it is, it is kind of impossible to navigate. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what what our mistake that night was, and to be fair, it was it was shorter, just not as short as I wanted to be. Is trying to make a diagonal out of those streets, or it's it's like some it's like trigonometry. It's, it, there's there's weird shit going on. But, it's almost like the um, the geography fights you. Like it, it acts sort of like a trap. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's a, yeah. No, it's a very very good way to put it. It, it is like a trap like, and that's what I was thinking. Like it's like this. Um. This an early vision I had of um, lads before, before I wrote the comic. And I think this actually bled into periphery a little bit. And it's definitely like kind of idea wise, uh, like worms edition is part of it is I pictured uh, lads edition as like this, like I don't want to see tarot card, but I pictured it as a, like a card that had energy running through it. Almost like uh, who's that X-Men that like makes cards glow and explode. Oh, gambit. Gambit, like a gambit card, where you see the energy flowing in through this major street and swirling around the center, and then flowing in through the other thing and swirling, and it becomes this like this this usable object, like a battery, like a like a gambit playing card. That, but I just don't know what that energy goes to. I mean, other than maybe there's some kind of you know uh, Teotihuacan style human sacrifice going on in the Hat Museum. Uh, I don't really know where this this, this occult energy goes to. Do you or maybe think, it's the IM Center. Maybe that's how maybe, um, that, maybe that's how that immortal guy that founded it gets his energy. <laughs> uh, or maybe there's some uh, as yet unknown uh, secret cabal of uh, lads edition wizards that, and you're going to be attracting their attention with your um, comic book. I mean, I, I wouldn't think I would have gotten their attention before now. Some of the weird shit I've done. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, especially that weird ritual we did right in the middle. Yeah. I mean, it can't be the first. It can't be the first. I looked into. Uh, there is. Uh, do you know the Rosarians? Uh, like, like the no. What are the Rosarians? They're they're a pseudo fraternal order in Portland that like do the Rose Festival and manage the Rose Gardens and stuff, and they wear all white outfits or the roses embedded on them. What? Um, but I had this like. Yeah, you know that. Yeah, my my boss is one. Oh, I don't know if I'm supposed to. No, Uh-oh. I don't think they're very secret. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, they're like a whole thing in Portland. And uh, I, I was like, maybe maybe they're less silly than I thought, and they built the Lions Edition. I mean, I, I don't know the answer to this, but, yeah. <laughs> These are ancient Portland secrets that totally need to be uncovered. We need, um, we need like, a Portland historian or something to help us figure this shit out. Yeah, if there's any Portland historians out there, I would love to get in touch with you. I'm uh, at the Alex Cast on Twitter, at Alex Bolin on Instagram, but like, find me, alexcastgmail.com. I'm going to... Tell me uh, about that. We should probably talk to the kick-ass Oregon history guy and maybe um, John Doyle. Those are the two uh, biggest Portland historians that I know of, and maybe we can figure this out. Maybe it, do- maybe it will turn out. It's probably going to be like... Uh, Lad's edition was built by the Freemasons or something, and then you're just going to be like, Eric, you knew about this all along. <laughs> yeah, well, I did find a rather pedestrian explanation that essentially was like a um, an affordable luxury community in like early America times. Like uh, I think it was built in my house is 
1907 or something like that. And I think it was one of those kind of um, pre-wars ideas that don't make a shitload of sense because it's like, there's sort of cars, but we don't really know what's going to happen. The war, like the war hasn't, or two wars hasn't destroyed what we understand of reality. And right. I think it, it, it was just some kind of strange idea that just didn't carry through. Like, oh yeah, we don't think like that anymore. So this makes no sense. It's kind of like these middle class people and the upper middle class people, they have cars, but they don't really want all of the plebeians to be like coming through here. So we need streets that will confuse the horses. Yeah, I, I don't, it, see, the story I kept hearing when I, so I've lived in, you know, two houses, and both of which, you know, National Historical Registry or whatever. Um, so the house I'm in now is like 07 or whatever. So that's not, like, there's not a lot of cars back then. I mean, I think it was, like, still, like, you know, a luxury, like, or uh, an anomaly to see a car. So I think yeah. this explanation of the, the neighborhood was built to avoid cars doesn't make a shitload of sense to me in I think it might have been something that, like, in the 1950s, people that lived here just made up, and now that's the actual, you know, well, that's what people think, even though that's not, you know. It was definitely not accessible by streetcar, and Portland was really uh, streetcar heavy in the early 1900s. So that could be it. Yeah, I don't know, because there's one Hawthorne, and I think there's one going up to Vision, which is the two adjoining streets. Right, right, right. Oh, maybe that was it. Maybe lads was like maybe the oh you know what this is but it, i think i figured it out and also i'm gonna have to write this into the comic thank you for the idea yeah is, no problem. lads is a magical battery but streetcars were like the the magic wand or the or the circle like those were the things that were getting powered and they're not there anymore the metal tracks of the trolleys on both sides were the thing bringing the magical power to i don't know some kind of uh sacrifice center on mountain Tabor. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds um, plausible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, apologies to anybody not from Portland for a lot of the things I've said, because that's some local ass references, but I assure you, no, just no, I get some local <laughs> this, this is totally worth uh, getting onto Google Maps and looking at Lad's Edition, because it totally sticks oh, out. Yeah. You know, I mean, Portland, Portland is mostly a grid, um, and the places where it's not a grid, uh, almost always it's... Uh, you know, muddled up by geography. So when you see Lad's Edition, it totally is like, what the heck is that even doing there? And it looks weird. So it makes sense. It totally makes sense. I mean, it makes sense yeah, that mean, it doesn't it, make sense. Yeah. Go to Google, check out go, like the street view of it, or go to gumroad.com and search for Outlet Press and like read the comic book. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Then, you know, just uh, how, do, how about yeah. you tell everybody where to find the comic book? How do you get it? Where, uh, where is it? So the digital one is like super, it, it's a, it's fucking 99 cents. So like go check it. I mean, not like, you know, that sounded very pitchy and I'm sorry to do that. <laughs> but it's okay to pitch. I, you, you know, a lot pitch. of such shit's expensive and you, like it stops you from buying it, but it's like, this is as cheap as a human can make a thing. Uh, but if you go to gumroad.com and search for outlet press, uh, O-L-O-U-T-L-E-T, press i'm outlet. typing it in it's outlet right now yeah so outlet just search for outlet press on gumroad.com um and then if you want the physical copy it's uh go to etsy and look for outlet press on there there's there's gonna be links on the show notes uh, there I'm will sure. absolutely be links in the show notes um and then where can people find you alex just in case they somehow have never heard you on this podcast before uh, well, I'm uh, the Alex Cast on Twitter. 
Uh, I'm Alex Bolin on uh, Instagram. All of these uh, Alexes Alex are two Bolin X's, Instagram. by the way. These are two X Alexes. Yeah, two X Alexes. Yeah, A L E X X B O L L E N on Instagram. Alex, the Alex Cast on Twitter. Um, I've got a Facebook page for the Alex Cast, which is my main podcast. Well, a oh. podcast that I've been doing for nine plus years. And I also uh, host a show called John and Alex Hate Stuff, where we review uh, movies. And yeah. it is very fun and weird. And uh, we've done some weird occult stuff on there, too. Well, not, we haven't practiced occult stuff. We've reviewed things that have occult overtones. And I make myself look weird because my, uh, my co host is a normie. And you're still going even through the coronavirus uh, lockdown shit. Yeah, yeah, we recorded our first uh, our first Skype John and Alex hate stuff uh, last night. That's which awesome. Was, uh, after two and a half years of doing the show together, it was really no, not even, I shouldn't even say that. John was one of my first guests on John Al- on uh, the Alex Cast in 2010 or 2011. Yeah, no, it was 2011. Was was John first came on our show? So I've been doing shows with John for nine years, and this is the first time I ever did it over the internet, and it was. Uh, I think it came out well, but it was really weird to get used to it. It's, we, when you're in the habit of seeing a human and kind of seeing them get amped up and know when they're about to respond, it's a weird thing to try to get used to like online timing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, even this, I, I feel like um, normally when we record episodes, we start off with some pretty good banter and stuff. But even this, like it was, it's weird uh, coordinating this. But I think it's gone pretty well. How do you feel about it? Oh yeah, no, it's uh, it's good. Yeah, we, we're doing it. We're keeping people distracted from from Coronachon. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I, I stole that from Mysterious Universe, another podcast. Sorry. That's no, a, I think that Mysterious that, Universe dot yeah. org or whatever. Go listen to them. Don't I, go listen to them. Feeling. Listen to listen to our podcasts. Jeez, jeez. Oh, no, do that first. I just I I I kind of podcast oh. are my friends, so sometimes I quote my friends. And that doesn't work when I'm on another podcast because it sounds like I'm just like stealing. And practically, yeah, but I don't mean to. It's just like, no, these these are my buddies. I've been listening to them for years. I yeah, just said the thing they said. You can't. <laughs> well, hey, Alex, uh, thanks for being on. I'm uh, I'm really um, excited about the future issues of Worms Edition. I can't wait to see what happens with this weird ass story. And um, stay safe out there in Corona Land. Yes, you as well. Be be smart, everybody that's listening. Uh, you know, don't go to a beach and be near each other. That's yeah. You know, don't stop. don't don't be near Stay each home. other anymore. Yeah, we we like our grandparents. Thank you for listening to the Arnamancy podcast. You can find me online at arnamancy.com, where you can schedule a tarot reading or peruse the Arnamancy blog. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. If you like this podcast, support it for just $1 a month through Patreon at patreon.com slash arnamancy.